Hey everyone, Paul and James here to tell you about one of the best music podcasts online today. It's called Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Yeah, as longtime listeners of our show know, Take It Away and its hosts, Ryan Brady and Chris Mercer, are the authority on all things Paul McCartney, Wings, and the Beatles. Their five-star rated podcast walks you through every single Paul McCartney release from 1970 to present day. That's every song on every album, including singles, B-sides, bootlegs, and you will most likely hear songs you've never heard before, which is part of the fun of the show. You'll also hear old favorites from new perspectives, all lovingly placed in the context of McCartney's career and the musical sounds of their era. Yeah, and don't miss the amazing interview with Denny Lane, co-founder of Wings and McCartney songwriting collaborator, as well as a slew of other special guest appearances that give some really cool insight into the music that spans the last 50 years. So if you're a McCartney fan, you've found your new favorite show, because I know I have. Seriously, I never Never miss an episode, and neither should you. That's Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney Archive podcast, available for download now wherever you find podcasts. Now let's get on with The Third Men. The Third Men podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! James, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And, and I know that that was very scary. You were legally dead. Did you just pump me full of the D? Oh, he's flatlining again. He's flatlining. Clear. Oh, God. Don't stop. All right. Paul, hit, hit me again. I need another hit. 
Uh, clear! He's flatlining! <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Jesus. The good news, James, is that you're alive. Okay. The bad news is you died a couple times. And we had to bring you back. That's a lot to take in. Yes. How many times? Well, it was five times. And jeez. And so we got you, we brought you back. Paul, out, out with it, Doctor. I, I Stop trying to, to come up with a way to say this. Just, here, here's a here's an easy way to do it. Use wordplay. <laughs> we gave you five different chances at being alive. Or you could, short, you could shorten that to just say, we gave you five on the live. Wait, and now, you're telling me you gave me chances, so did you kill me every time? Well, I'm, I'm not going to say I didn't. Oh, get back to telling me why I died in the first place. I, I need to know. You were infected by love and it killed oh, you. Oh, great. great uh, welcome great. to the Third Men Podcast. This is a Jack White history podcast, and I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. And today, James... Oh, we've got such a special one. Oh, it's so special, Paul. After these many moons of discussing Jack White's latest effort, Boarding House Reach, we have finally left that behind for the time being and are moving on to some of our regularly scheduled topics. And this week, James, we return to an episode category that we haven't done in a little while, Five on the Live. Five on the Live, a... Classic segment that we've done once. Classic. And classic segment. <laughs> classic bit. For those of you out there who are new to the show or maybe have not heard uh, the last Five on the Live episode. Yeah, or, or who are very frustrated by us right now struggling through that opening bit. Yeah, you know, if you need a little jump start to your heart, much like I did five times, our Five on the Live episodes are when me and Paul go back and forth with different live performances of Jack White are surrounding a specific theme. Yes. And we go back and forth with these and we talk about them a little bit. Maybe we discover the finer points of drug overdoses like we did last time, I think. Yes. Last time we learned about so much. We learned about the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band and mm-hmm. I found a new favorite song of mine, which is Keep It Clean. Yes. There was just a lot we covered. So last time, as you mentioned, James, we did five on the live covers. So we picked five of our favorite cover songs that Jack White performed on stage. And this week, James, we're going to be doing five on the live guest stars. Ooh. Yeah. So this is guests that Jack collaborated with in some fashion whilst recording the material. So they could be Jack songs, they could be cover songs, it could be anything. They're live cuts featuring Jack and a guest performer. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. We're going to go through those. And before we get to all that, James... Is there something we should stop doing? Yes. Great. It's a stop, stop a breaking out. Would you like to explain to the people what Stop Breaking Down is, James? Oh, I'd love to. Stop Breaking Down is the segment of the show in which we've gotten something wrong, Paul. Yeah. You're wrong. You're very wrong, and you're a bad boy. Yeah. 
Well, let's specify. This week, um, you got something wrong. I've gotten something wrong. I'm a bad boy. Uh, when, it's when we get something wrong in a previous episode, and uh, this is our segment to rectify that because we're trying to get you the best information possible, and the only way we know how to do that is to lie and then tell you that we lied. Yeah. So yeah. this week's Stop Break It Down comes courtesy of who else but our third woman in spirit every week, Kelly Durga, who points out that in episode 69 <laughs> of the podcast where we talked about the different live performances that we witnessed of Jack White on this Boarding House Reach pre-tour. Mm. James, you mentioned that Jack brought out his, what you thought was his... Rita guitar. Boy, were you wrong. I'm so embarrassed. You should be ashamed. Yeah. It was not his Rita guitar, but it was one of the trio of guitars that the Rita belongs to. So. Yes. There's that. Yeah, so uh, courtesy of Callie here, the acoustic Gretsch Rancher that Jack used this tour is the third of his three ladies, and her name is Veronica after Veronica Lake. Have you ever seen the love light in a lady's eyes And then suddenly watch it vanish away Rita is his Stripes Rancher, Claudette is his Rax Rancher, and Veronica was actually made for the dead weather. As far as Callie knows, the only time he actually played Veronica was at the Sea of Cowards show at Third Man Records, where Callie got to see her up close. So that's very interesting background information. We knew that those guitars existed, but I always forget there are three of them. Yes, and Veronica Lake, by the way, was an American film stage and television actress born Constance Frances Mary Ackelman oh. uh, and was known for being a femme fatale in several noir films. I'm getting all this from Wikipedia, so take it for what it's worth. And it also apparently was in a low-budget horror film called Flesh Feast. <laughs> <laughs> well... In addition to the thing we're about to apologize for, I would also like to apologize for James uttering the words flesh feast into your ear. But James, this week we also have something we should really be apologizing for as well. Uh, I'm sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Sorry. We're sorry. Annoying as hell, in fact, is the portion of the show where we apologize to you, the listener, for something very annoying that we did. Mm. And I would like to uh, take personal responsibility for this. Now, in uh, the past few weeks, we have relocated the podcast from our host of several moons, Spreaker. We moved the show from Spreaker to a new hosting platform, Pippa, mm. which is a delightful platform, which is recommended to us by friend of the show, Ryan Brady of the Take It Away podcast. And in moving the show, it caused some complications with the feed. So we apologize for that. We hope it did not inconvenience you or your feed. And we would just like you to know that we intend on being with Pippa for a good long while, and so we don't expect any interruptions like that moving forward. But we apologize if there was any confusion or uh, mix-ups with your feed, and we hope you forgive us. And we hope yeah. that uh, you continue to pass along the show to your friends and tell them that you've got this wonderful Jack White podcast you listen to on Pippa. 
and you will give us a what do they call that in golf? A mulligan. Birdie. No, it's not a birdie. Uh, it's cart. a mul- It's a mulligan. A club. I named it literally before you started naming other things. A Bill Murray <laughs> in Caddyshack. <laughs> uh, by the way, Flesh Feast is about Dr. Elaine Frederick, a mad scientist who's working on developing maggots that prefer human flesh, and also her services are used to make a clone of Adolf Hitler. Now you see it. Anyway, we're sorry. Now you don't. We're sorry. All right, James. Are you ready to get into this topic here and pick our first five on the live guest star? I am very ready, Paul. While convincing everyone the flesh-eating maggots are for regeneration research, she simply wants to throw them in the resurrected Hitler's face, which she does. (laughs) Paul, I I can't wait. Let's let's uh let's live the live experience and guest. Uh huh. Keep going. Finish it. Guest. Finish it, James. Hmm. Let's get that guest star train up rolling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James. Our first five on the live entry here is The Lemon Song with special Ooh. guest Robert Plant. I remember this one. you know is a founding member of led zeppelin the mm-hmm. lead singer of that group and one of jack white's and indeed most of modern rock's key influences so this cover version was played at Lollapalooza, argentina in 2015 and this was played on the lazaretto tour toward the tail end of the electric version of the lazaretto tour featuring key musicians jack white dominic davis lily may rishi dean fertita daru jones fats kaplan and of course special guest star Robert Plant. This was never released to record. Via Rolling Stone, the bluesy Zeppelin classic had twice popped up during White sets in 2014, most notably during his historic headlining slot at Bonnaroo, so he did play this at Bonnaroo. Ah. But remarkably, according to setlist.fm, this was the first time Plant had sung the Lemon song since Plant and Jimmy Page gave the track a one-off performance 
during the Norway stop of their joint tour together in June of 1995. Wow. Hopefully, this Lemon song won't be a one-off as well. Both Plant and White are also booked for Lollapalooza Brazil Fest scheduled for march 28th and 29th as far as i know they did not unite for that one rolling stone goes on to say back in september plant revealed he had already picked out what track he wanted to record at white's third man records in nashville quote i'd like to do a track called love me which was originally recorded by the phantom Ooh, like the wait the comic book superhero yes james and billy zane himself was scheduled to appear on that record While White was on tour at the time, the duo will have another chance to hit the studio together when Plant returns to Tennessee this summer for his Bonnaroo gig. Now, to my knowledge, they did not unite at that juncture, James. Not that I know of. Callie, if we're wrong, you know who to Facebook message. Probably me. Or Paul. One of us. Jack opened the encore with this song before launching into Ball and Biscuit, which is a spiritual successor to that sort of thing anyway, followed by 16 Saltines, Steady She Goes, Little Bird, ah, and ending on Seven Nation Army. Apparently he had been covering the tune in live shows leading up to this. Not sure if anticipation of luring Plant onto the stage or if it was just for kicks. I don't know. But Jack was headlining the show that night. I like the idea of him setting a trap with the lemon song. It's just like, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wobbits. <laughs> now listen here, Lily May. I'm setting up a trap for Robert Plant. It involves lemons and you... Jack has played with all three surviving members of Led Zeppelin because obviously he was co-stars with Jimmy Page for It Might Get Loud. Mm -hmm. He played with Robert Plant at this juncture, and he also played with John Paul Jones live on stage with Seasick Steve and Allison Mosshart. Oh, snap. Yeah, and I thought I had remembered that because we had talked about the Seasick Steve thing a little bit during our uh, Going Solo uh, show, I think. What fruit-related songs did he use to lure them on stage? (laughs) I don't know. So anyway, uh, a bit about Lollapalooza Argentina 2015. I had no idea this thing even existed. But apparently the festival's 2015 outing was the second annual Lollapalooza in the country, which continues on to this day. Jack's fellow headliners that year included Calvin Harris from the UK, Cypress Hill. (laughs) Oh, wow. uh, Pharrell Williams, Skrillex. Damian Marley and Francis Nicky Romero and also playing were Interpol, The Kooks, Smashing Pumpkins, Fits and the Tantrums, and a host of others. And there was roughly 70,000 people in attendance, which is a lot of heads. Yeah, it's pretty handy that one of them happened to be the singer of the song Jack was covering. (laughs) (laughs) What a coincidence! I'm really hoping there was a spotlight that just popped onto Robert Plant just dancing in the crowd. And he's like, who, me? (laughs) See? 
I could never. And then he pulls a microphone from his pocket. Yeah, I could never. I, he pulls it from his pants, which was producing yeah, the bulge. That was what the bulge was. Yeah, it was an extra microphone. Any man with a microphone can tell you what he bulged the most. Oh! Gross. This isn't episode 69, <laughs> Paul. We should leave this content behind us. I mean, uh, look, Jack is friends with a lot of this old guard. He's uh, He talked exhaustively with Pete Townsend who uh, mm-hmm. was was hilariously ignoring Brendan Benson at the time and uh, he's good friends with the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and he's the carrier of the torch of those kinds of groups so it was really nice to see him and Robert Plant get together yes especially since they're two frontmen of bands that uh, adore the blues the classic blues ah and we'll get into some of that with this particular song James this uh, original recording of the Lemon song was made famous by Led Zeppelin and the writing credit is credited to the entire band Plant, Page, Bonham, JPJ, and Howlin' Wolf. And I'll get into that right now. So this was released on the band's 1969 Zeppelin II LP, recorded in Los Angeles while they were on their second tour of the States, and released on October 22nd, 1969. Incidentally, the top songs on the Billboard charts that month, can you guess, James? Uh, There were two songs that dominated the charts that month. October 69. Get it? I'm going to go with... It's a sex number. Uh, 69 would have probably been... You're right. It was a bunch of noises. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Revolution 9 off the White Album the year prior. (laughs) Sugar Sugar by the Archies. Whoa, Ron Dante and the Archies? (laughs) Yes, and I Can't Get Next to You by The Temptations. So this song was inspired by Howlin' Wolf's The Killing Floor, which the band used to play heavily in their live sets. So we're talking about the Lemon song here. The song wasn't really written. It was more of an evolution of a cover. It's lyrics the result of repeat improvisation that just sort of stuck after a while. Mm. So the band was playing The Killing Floor a bunch. And then just started going off about lemons and sex stuff mm-hmm. while Plant bulged on the stage and the lemon song was born. I should have quit you a long time ago. Maybe I should have quit you a long time ago. I should have quit you pretty baby. It 
fact, on the original British copies of Led Zeppelin 2, the label on the record lists Killing Floor as the third track. Oh, wow. And is credited to Chester Burnett, which is Howlin' Wolf's real name, while the liner notes lists the Lemon Song and credits Led Zeppelin. Hmm. Like the Rolling Stones, Zepp pulled a lot from the 30s bluesmen, and you can trace a pretty neat line from the Stones to Zepp to Jack in that regard. And some of the lyrics of the Lemon Song incorporate other songs from that era, including Traveling Riverside Blues by Robert Johnson, hmm. which is uh, something we had talked about on our Robert Johnson episode. That's where they snagged that squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my leg part. Right, right, right. <laughs> Now you can squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my till the juice runs down my leg. You know what I'm talking about. You can squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my bed. That's what I'm talking about now. But I'm going back to Brad Bunny. Zeppelin recorded Traveling Riverside Blues on their BBC sessions and a cross-cut saw by Albert Johnson with some secondhand influence from Arthur McKay's She Squeezed My Lemon. They were cutting to the chase in the 30s, James. <laughs> yeah, subtlety. Well, it was for the birds. Yep. Howlin' Wolf is listed as a co-write on the song after December 1972 because... He sued Led Zeppelin for copyright infringement. Oh, snap. In December of 72, and the party settled out of court. Uh, he wound up walking away with, I think, $52,000 cash and writing credit on the Lemon song. I think, James, this unlocks another little special piece of Jack White history, because in 2014, on the song Three Women, Jack White gives a co-write credit to Blind Willie McTell and... I think that is either a lesson learned mm. from what Zeppelin went through on the Lemon Song or simply him giving credit where it's due, which Zeppelin clearly did not. Wise choice regardless. I feel like it was more homage than it was lesson. I think so. You know, we talk a lot about Jack's nervousness with the concept of appropriation on this show. And when you get to something like Zeppelin calling a cover song something else and taking it for their own i sometimes struggle with well the bluesmen used to do that too or is it mm. them just taking the blues for themselves i don't know i think the line's pretty blurry i look at the lemon song and go that's probably more appropriation than tradition particularly because they're white dudes from britain and they weren't giving the credit so I don't know. That appropriation argument boggles my mind sometimes. I think it's like pornography. You know it when you see it kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could even put a fine point on it, but there it is. Hmm. No electronic devices were used to create the echo on Robert Plant's vocal on this track. It was made by acoustics in the studio and by his voice. And you can hear John Bonham's gong at the beginning of this song. <laughs> He added a Chinese gong 
to uh, his drum kit for uh, theatrical performances, and I never heard that before, James, but now I'm going to be listening for it. James, that brings us to your first pick. Yeah, Paul, my first pick is kind of backwards, uh-huh. and it's kind of a twofer. Uh, okay, I'm curious. So in 2014, in Providence, Rhode Island, Jack White joined Beck on stage. Whoa! Okay. To play three songs with Beck. What? Two of them off of his Mellow Gold album. He played Loser, played guitar and sang with Beck. Wow. And he also played Pay No Mind, which is amazing. We should play a clip of Pay No Mind. All right. We got a special guest right now. A legend. Uh, This man is one of the finest bartenders of the Eastern half of the United States, probably most of the Western half as well. And he will make you a couch, and he will um, blow your face off, just in general, with the almightiness, Jack White. I'm going to do something we don't do that often, it's called Pain of Mind. A really fun white hat and a blue shirt. He just came fresh off of another concert the day prior or that day and joined back on stage there. But what I really want to talk about, Paul, mm. is while Jack White was with Beck singing on stage, they played the song Where It's At. And guest starred oh. again oh. with Sean Lennon. What? <laughs> Jack White, Beck, and Sean Lennon is my pick for the second oh my final one. God. <laughs> this again 2014 so this is ghost of the saber-toothed tiger era is this perhaps where he met charlotte kemp mull it's very possible sean lennon for those of you who don't know his last name he's the son of mick jagger yeah he's the son of mickelson jagger jack mickelson no he's the son of uh john lennon and yoko ono 
and uh, he is in a band called Ghost of a Sabertooth Tiger with Jack White collaborator Charlotte Kemp Mule, and uh, he joined them on stage to play Where It's At. By the way, born the same year as Jack, both in 75. Were they really? Yes. Oh, interesting. So Where It's At is a uh, single from Beck's 96 Odelay album, which is fantastic if you've never heard it. Uh, produced by the Dust Brothers, if I'm not mistaken. It was indeed. has a shaggy dog jumping over a dog training thing on the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, entertains me. So it was the first Beck album I actually ever bought. He premiered it at Lollapalooza in 95. Includes spoken samples incorporated into it from the Dust Brothers. Many of them from a an obscure sex education album called Sex for Teens, <laughs> colon, Where It's At. <laughs> which is where he got the title from. Um yeah, I love that interesting song. song. Yeah, other vocal samples included "Needle to the Groove" by Mantronics, as well as "The Frogs." Ooh, and also Beck pays homage to Captain Beefheart by dressing as Captain Beefheart was dressed in Trout Mask replica Ooh. album photo sessions in the video. Wow! So in the video, another third man kind of reference to their recent uh, Vault release of Trout Mask replica. Beck dresses as the trout mask replica man the music in the video. video that's very interesting it looks like we're joined with some uh, horns by david brown on saxophone and mike boito on trumpet mm-hmm. and uh, this one clocks in at a cool five minutes 30 seconds which is neat on this album i really like devil's haircut a lot i think that might be my favorite track on it that's good i also love the fact that there's a track called ready made ah anyway and this track earned back a grammy for best male rock vocal performance oh cool Pretty interesting group there. Obviously, Beck and Jack White have a relationship that goes back for a very long time. Beck can be heard playing on several Jack White songs, notably a few of the B-sides from the Icky Thump era. They've been good friends for a long time, so this is not a surprise necessarily, but interesting nonetheless. The Sean Lennon bit, though, is staggering. I have no idea why he was there, but he definitely was. Jack White was introduced, by the way, as the best bartender in the world. <laughs> and, oh, Sean Lennon was the show opener for ah, the show. I see, I see. So, yeah, that was why he was there. Looks like he joined in on tambourine. Uh, this is via Rolling Stone. Fresh off his headlining performance Saturday night at the Newport Folk Festival, Jack White popped over to make a special guest appearance at another Rhode Island gig, joining Beck on stage at the Providence Performing Arts Center as the future heart reports white introduced by beck as you mentioned james as the best bartender in the world joined in for beck's encore and stayed for the whole segment they started off with pay no mind and loser off the 1994 album mellow gold before closing it with an extended version of where it's at the final number and another surprise guest in the form of sean lennon who had opened the show with ghost of a saber tooth tiger so charlotte kemp mole was for sure 100 percent there because she's the only other person in that band right this is wild i had no idea this happened Apparently, he also participated in a choreographed dance sequence, which, oh boy. (laughs) Well, James, that was a surprise to me, too. Good. Well, shall we move on to song three, James? Let's do it. Song number three, my pick is Of the Earth, guest starring Pearl Jam. Ooh.
Now this one is cheating a little bit because it's Jack guesting with another artist, but I guess you kind of did that with Beck anyway, so whatever. Hey! <laughs> so this cover version was uh, Pearl Jam Live at Third Man Records featuring Jack White, the key players being Eddie Vedder on guitar and vocals, Mike McCready and Stone Gossard on additional guitar. Stone Goatman. Mm-hmm. Matt Cameron on drums, Jeff Ament on bass, Boom Gasper on kiss the best name ever boom gasper on keyboards and jack on guitar recorded and mixed by vance powell with assistance from joshua v smith logan matheny and mike fahey and it was released september 2016 as part of vault package 29 for third man records and it was recorded on june 9th 2016 in the blue room in nashville via thirdmanrecords.com on june 9th 2016 third man records was humbled to welcome pearl jam for a performance in our nashville blue room live venue kept secret until the absolute last moment the crowd of only 250 included lucky 10 club members mayors nba superstars country music royalty, and possibly even a few stowaways. To call it a warm-up for their headlining set at Bonnaroo two nights later would be to vastly undervalue the evening. The band tore through a clutch collection of songs that spanned both deep cuts and fan favorites. A classic like Deep, from their album 10, sits comfortably next to Life Wasted, from their self-titled album Pearl Jam, and set closer Let Me Sleep was originally recorded in 1990 and was the band's first ever 10-club release. I guess the 10 Club is their version of the vault. It is. Apparently not as good. A friend of the show, Aaron Gallagher, has that. Does that. Hmm. I think she's a member of that. Uh, the highlight of the performance came when Pearl Jam invited Jack White and his guitar to the stage to join on a song that clocked in at over seven minutes and featured wild dueling solos between White and Mike McCready. This epic performance left every mouth in the audience agape and every face on stage all smiles. Those seven minutes were truly some of the most memorable and historic in seven years since the Blue Room opened its doors. Now, this was during the Great Jack Drought, James, mm. in the before time. In the, <laughs> in the in, long, long ago. Yeah, yes. in the pre-Boarding House Reach days where we were all starved for Jack content. And so I, unlike many who sensibly canceled their vault subscriptions to skip this one, such as yourself, hung on, James. I hung on so that I could hear Jack's solo. <laughs> and it is very, very good. I just wanted to be clear. I skipped that one not out of distaste for Pearl Jam or not wanting to hear it, but out of monetary reasons. Also why I'm skipping this uh, this current one. Yeah, I should have probably skipped that one, too, and then it charged the card. So, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. This song was during the encore of the show. This is via AXS. Tickets for the secret show went on sale just hours prior to the performance at a local record store and were only available to members of Pearl Jam's official fan club lucky enough to be first in line. The audience was treated to a cover of Pink Floyd's 1967 psychedelic romp Interstellar Overdrive. Nice. Before the band moved into their 1994 Vitology classic, corduroy nice followed by two tracks from 2013's lightning bolt pendulum and the lead single mind your manners the initial seven song set ended with deep from their 1991 album 10 the last kiss Hitmakers returned to perform an encore with of the earth an outtake from their self-titled 2010 studio album aka the avocado album mm-hmm. that featured jack white on guitar and closed the night with their 1998 chicago cab soundtrack contribution hard to imagine and their 1991 10 club single let me sleep via jam bass when pearl jam returned for the encore jack white joined them on guitar white sat in on rarity of the earth which the Seattle Rockers debuted in 2010 and have only played a total of 11 times. Hmm. 
The memorable performance came to an end with Hard to Imagine and Let Me Sleep. Pearl Jam now head to Bonnaroo, where they headline on Saturday night. Guitarist Mike McCready clearly had fun with Jack telling Relix.com, quote, Jamming with Jack White is really cool. (laughs) How he attacks it, it's unlike any other guitar player that's around. It was a cool thing to be able to trade licks with him and look at him and see what he was doing and then try to emulate that. Or I did it and he would do it back and kind of back and forth. At least that's how I felt about it. (laughs) McCready continued, there's just a coolness about him. There's a coolness in his playing that has an intensity that I love. So this guy obviously had himself a grand old Opry of a time. Now, the original recording, James, is kind of fascinating. It was written by the whole band? Question mark. Made famous, obviously, by Pearl Jam. The background is, it was never officially released. It's sort of the modern Pearl Jam Sasquatch song. When it pops up, get those cameras out, unless you're at a TMR show. (laughs) (laughs) It was originally conceived of during the sessions of the band's eighth LP, 2006's self-titled LP, sometimes referred to as Avocado or the Avocado Album. It was ultimately not included on the record via Wikipedia. The music on the record was proclaimed as a return to the band's roots with an emphasis on up-tempo songs with an aggressive sound. The song lyrics are mostly told from the point of view of characters and deal with sociopolitical issues in the United States, such as the War on Terror. Pearl Jam was critically well-received, the album, and was commercially successful, debuting at number two on the Billboard 200 chart and eventually outselling the band's previous release, Riot Act. The album produced three singles, Worldwide Suicide, Life Wasted, and Gone, which were moderately successful, and the band supported the album with a full-scale world tour that year, 2006. A total of 25 songs were written before coming down to the 13 on the final track listing. Outtakes include a song called The Forest, uh, later featured on this immense guy 2008 solo album, Tone, and Of the Earth, which started being played live in 2010. So this is just an outtake they started playing in front of people. Huh. I mean, Jack does that too, I guess. Well... With what? <laughs> like, yeah, no, never mind. It's not something he does. It's unusual. Yeah. I'm not terribly versed in Pearl Jam, so I can't really speak to a lot of this, but it seems like a cool thing. It seems like a treat for fans, you know? Yeah. If you like avocados but want more, here's this. Yeah, do that. Writing credit on this is kind of muddy. The band members did not go into the recording session with any completed songs, only guitar riffs. Vetter admitted that the band really went in with nothing, and they sat around playing music together and discussed the arrangements and in just one week had completed 10 songs. So that sounds a little like Boarding House Reach a little bit where there wasn't a whole lot of content there and it just kind of grew out of jamming. But it sounds like Eddie Vedder wound up writing the lyrics based on those jams and arrangements. So Hmm. I guess you could argue it was written by Vedder, but it's really a band effort. Yeah. I mean, it's, like you said, more Boarding House Reach than Dead Weather, I would, I guess. Dead Weather jammed and collaborated all at the same time. They didn't come to it with many riffs, yeah. uh, whereas Boarding House Reach, Jack came to it with a with a set riff or something right. and said, let's build a song around this. But Yes, uh, there's some real mystery behind this one. It dropped via live bootleg in 2010. That show was on June 22nd in Dublin, Ireland, and only played a total of 11 times since, as I mentioned. Looks like it was slated to be included on the album Lightning Bolt, but was pulled for unspecified reasons. I did some digging on some 
Pearl Jam forums and found someone named Hugh Freakin' Dylan who seems to have it all figured out. It's uh, this is from Hugh Freakin' Dylan on uh, a Pearl Jam message board. It was all pure speculation and hope that it would be. Ed had stated a few times that they had never been successful at capturing what they intended when they recorded it, hence it only being a live song. I'm fine with that. I think it's neat when a band writes a song and plays it live, never having heard a recorded version. So there is uh, there's a little mystery around this one. It is. Uh, I found it kind of interesting. As, as somebody who doesn't listen to Pearl Jam, it was cool getting to know them through this live recording and hearing Jack Shred on this thing was pretty sweet, James. As a, as a Pearl Jam fan, what did you think of this one? thought it was extraordinary it it's unsurprising i've heard stories of this sort of thing in the pearl jam communities as they were i have a lot of friends who are very much invested in pearl jam and look for this song and look for this type of experience when the vault came out i heard nothing but cheers so yeah it was good oh good now james you ready to move on to your second pick hell yeah my second pick is a thing that you could buy at a grocery store as well as being a man who is a rapper. It is Q-Tip, Paul. And that black bat licorice. song is obviously a jack white song off of the album lazaretto jack white had a special guest on q-tip at his madison square garden show in 2015 a show that both me and you have attended we were in attendance james along with our good buddy mike and unknown to us tom valenti and aaron gallagher that's true some key musicians in this are jack white fats kaplan dominic davis lily may rishi dean fertita and daru jones it was never released on record. However, it was released via live stream when they did a live stream of the Madison Square Garden show oh, yeah, as right. a promotional stunt, mm-hmm. uh, I believe through Spotify. No, Pandora, I believe. Oh, okay. I had some friends who, who listened to it via that. Mm-hmm. Jack opened his uh, encore with Black Bat Licorice, uh, which was his latest Lazaretto single at the time. Via Consequence of Sound, Friday Night marked Jack White's return to Madison Square Garden for the first time since playing there with the White Stripes in 2007, which, again, we were also in attendance at. Yes. We, we did it. We did it, James. <laughs> Making up for lost time, the rocker blitzed the 18,000-person capacity crowd, which that's more than I thought could fit in MSG, to mm. be honest, with a ferocious 21-song set that included material from his two solo albums as well as the White Stripes and the Tours. The night's big highlight, however, came during the encore when White invited A Tribe Called Quest's Q-Tip to the stage. Together, they performed White's Lazaretto track, That Black Bat Licorice, before launching into Tribe's classic Excursions. 
back in the days when I was a teenager Before I had status and before I had a pager You can find the abstract, listening to hip hop My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop I said, well daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles Way the Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael It's all expected, things are for the looking If you got the money, quest is for the booking Come on everybody, let's get with the fly mode Still got room on the truckload of black gold Listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture of this black man. White and Q-Tip weren't the only rap rock performance to go down at Madison Square Garden last night. During Run the Jewels opening set, Rage Against the Machine's frontman, Zach De La Roca, guested for yeah. Close Your Eyes and Count to F***. <laughs> Very good song title. I was largely unfamiliar with Tribe Called Quest before Jack started interacting with them, but James, as you know, Jack would later guest and perform and... I think he even has a co-write on one of them on uh, Tribe Called Quest's album. Thank you for your service. We've got it from here. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Which was what, put out in 2016, which is really good. I really like that it's album a, a lot. very good album, yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I like a lot of Tribe stuff, but uh, some of their stuff is a little on the uh, sketchier side of problematic, but a lot of it isn't. But I, I definitely like Tribe. I like a them a lot. Fun fact, um, before the... St. Vincent concert I saw on the Paramount lot. She played nothing but Tribe Called Quest for, I want to say, an hour <laughs> before that show. Anyway. That's pretty good. Yeah. But uh, about two minutes into the performance of uh, That Black Bat Licorice, Jack announced Q-Tip, who came out, and uh, Paul, as as you had put in the show notes, absolutely crushed it. He did. Uh, he really he did. did. Yes. Yeah, no, he did great. Because That Black Bat Licorice, for those... Unfamiliar. I don't know why you wouldn't be familiar with this song, but Jack's rapping on it for sure. Yeah, and Q-Tip's infusion is not foreign to that at all. It fits very huh. well. It's obvious that he had rehearsed uh, because he got all of the lyrics correct via Rolling Stone. After performing a dozen songs set that jumped between solo work, White Stripes tracks, and a pair of Rack and Tours tunes, White opened his encore with Lazaretto's That Black Bat Licorice. Midway through the song, White stepped to the microphone to introduce New York's own, quotes, yeah. Q-Tip, who joined White for the remainder of the song. White's band then seamlessly locked into the groove of Excursions, the opening track off A Tribe Called Quest's landmark The Low End Theory. With White painting the performance with some six-string flourishes and giving that track a more rock edge, the Q-Tip appearance came two nights after White recruited Loretta Lynn for his Nashville concert. Now, to be honest, yeah, I kind of would have loved to see Loretta Lynn on stage. However, yeah. not disappointed, having had Q-Tip up there, super talented performer, definitely did a good job. Uh, I was very close with a Loretta pick for my last one which we'll get to in a moment but ultimately didn't go with it but that that one of Loretta and him in 2014 is good and it's also it's not I wouldn't say sad but it's also like she's obviously forgetting a lot of the lyrics and she's a little mm. more frail than when she was on Family of Rose he treats her like his mother as Allison might say yeah. you know it was a good guest performance too that it time. was it was and he also brings Brendan and Benson and uh yes 
Little Jack on stage for that, too. Yes, he does. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so the original recording of that Black Bat Licorice, it was from his second solo album, Lazaretto, released June 10th, 2014, featuring vocals from Olivia Jean and Ruby Amonfu, clavinet and organ by Brooke Wagner, drums Patrick Keeler, upright bass Burn Davies, on the fiddle and mandolin Fats Kaplan, friend of the show Fats Kaplan. Yeah, that's uh, right. On the harp, Timber Kirpke. Yeah. Kirpke? Kirpke. Kirpke. Yeah. Kirpke. Kirpke. It's a Kirpke. Mm-hmm. On vocals and electric guitar and percussion, Jack White. This was the third single from the album, and it was backed with Blue Light, Red Light, Someone's There, a song written by Harry Connick Jr. Via song facts. <laughs> I love our needlessly detailed pronunciation of song facts. Song facts. Uh, the song finds White virtually rapping the lyrics as he references a fast black hearse, uh, Nietzsche, Freud, and Horace in the same couplet. That rapping, which would be very well done by Mr. Q-Tip. Mm. She's built for speed like a black castrum Dolores, good for the needy like Nietzsche, Freud, and Horace. That's basically a hip-hop song, Jack White told Jam Music. I wasn't going for it, but I have found myself in the middle of it. I think I've done that a lot in my career, and people haven't noticed. Icky Thump is a hip-hop track. Mm. Freedom at 21 on the last album was a hip-hop track. But I don't think anyone really categorizes that. Which is really funny. <laughs> it's very funny knowing the, what we know now with the context of Boarding House Reach, which is very much in the hip-hop category. In fact, I think Google categorized it as hip-hop for a long time. Yeah. And by a long time, I mean like a week. and then <laughs> The three-in-one interactive video features a live-action clip directed by White himself, an animated version helmed by James Blogden, and a headbang edition shot by Brad Holland. Viewers can switch between the three visuals by holding down the three or B keys on their keyboard. Yes, I remember this. Which is a pretty cool music video concept. Yeah, yeah, it was it was weird at the time because it felt like a very long time since Lazaretto had been out and suddenly Black Bat Licorice is back in our minds yeah but yeah i liked it i that was one of the standouts for me on lazaretto and i like yeah like they point out black bat licorice as i was doing this research feels right at home on boarding house reach oh yeah like you could slide black bat licorice into boarding house reach very easily just the same as like three dollar hat also could slide in very seamlessly onto this album so people who are shocked by this album really are forgetting these songs i think there's a progression that can be followed for sure and uh this is one of the songs that you can follow that progression with paul i don't know about you but at the show i was pumped to see this happen i was anticipating some hip-hop influences because run the jewels was his show opener a co-worker and friend of mine was very jealous because he he knew that i was going to see run the jewels open for jack white and yeah. so he was watching via the live stream and uh, as soon as q-tip came on uh, i texted him because i knew he was also a big tribe fan and i'm like dude q-tip's on and he's like i know i'm watching it right now he was super stoked it was like it was really nice uh because i was like excited for my friend at the same time who was like a huge tribe (laughs) fan and i thought he did an excellent job with the song and obviously it led to some really cool collaborations obviously it led to boarding house reach you could say this point right here led to boarding house reach because q-tip probably led to that session with tribe that had chris rock at it that probably led to chris rock going to tmr to do a stand-up special that stand-up special led to chris rock commenting about jack white's recording techniques which led to jack white rethinking everything he ever learned (laughs) 
That is quite a line you've drawn, James, and it's <laughs> an oddly neat line that I'm a little uncomfortable about how accurate you've just portrayed that. I was talking to friend of the show, Joe Lalich, uh, speaking of analogies that are or or metaphors that are extremely apt. We were talking about boarding house reach, and we were uh, I was remarking that Mike Jesitis called it Jack's Saint Anger. <laughs> yeah, and that is kind of stupidly accurate. It's like a it's like a swing for the commercial fences that he tripped in the middle of or something, <laughs> and and hit his head with a fastball and woke up and he's like, I'm a jazz fusionist now. <laughs> he has amnesia. <laughs> oh man, I would love an album, a, a Sgt. Pepper like album from Jack, where he just th- like he's pretending to have amnesia about what he does. <laughs> That's good. That would be really good, actually. I would love it if he did that. Mm-hmm. Shall we get to our next song? Yeah, let's let's move on here to our last Five on the Live pick, one of my very favorites. I'm Lonely, But I Ain't That Lonely Yet, featuring Ms. Margot Price. Oh. Well, I miss my mother, and I miss being her son. It's crazy as it was, I wasn't much one Sometimes I miss her so much Wanna hop on the next step And I'm lonely But I ain't that lonely yet So this cover version is from Jack White live on a Prairie Home Companion. The key musicians being Jack Fats Kaplan, Dominic Davis, Lily Mae, and of course Margot Price. It was never released on record, but it was recorded on October 15th, 2016 and released on a Prairie Home Companion in its very first episode mm. with new host Chris Thiele. This via Rolling Stone. Saturday night marked Nickel Creek and the Punch Brothers mandolinist Chris Thiele's first time hosting a Prairie Home Companion since its creator, sex monster Garrison Keeler, handed him the reins of the weekly variety radio show. For Thiele's maiden voyage as a full-time host, Jack White visited Lake Wobegon to play a four-song set. White performed two tracks from his recently released acoustic recordings, 1998-2016, the unreleased White Stripes track City Lights, and an acoustic version of Carolina Drama from the Racks, with Thiele sitting in on the latter, as well as a duet of The White Stripes, I'm Lonely But I Ain't That Lonely Yet, which co-starred White's third man, signee Margot Price, for his final song that evening, White and his band of stellar musicians covered the Tom T. Hall-penned Bobby Bear hit Margie's at the Lincoln Park Inn. All these songs are wonderful, James. I don't know if you remember when this one came out. I do. I do indeed. I didn't watch it live. Well, I didn't watch it right away, but I... um... I was very happy with it. I was happy to see Margot playing some White Stripes material, which was very, very surprising. Yes. Well, I want to say it was about 
five months after Midwest Farmer's Daughter came out. It was done in the fall, as I recall, and Margot's album came out in sort of the late spring of that year. So it was pretty fresh. And this was the time in which uh, Jack White was, for once, uh, embracing the song Carolina Drama and has since embraced the song Carolina Drama, and I'm very happy that he has because I love that damn song. Uh, In all fairness, I think he played that on the Blunderbuss and Lazaretto tours. I don't remember it, but you're probably right. Well, I tell you, we heard it at Radio City, I think, for sure. Did we? Okay. On the Blunderbuss tour, I think. I was a little drunk. (laughs) Midway through his set, Jack White says, So, what do you got next for us? Um, We thought we'd bring a friend from Nashville with us, Miss Margot Price, to come sing a song. I'm Lonely, But I Ain't That Lonely Yet appears on White's fifth studio album, released in 2005. This is via theboot.com. Price is signed to White's third man records after releasing her debut disc, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. Price had shopped around the project in Nashville, but had no takers until connecting with White and Third Man. She is now the label's lone country artist, which is out of date because she is no longer the lone country artist. Now there's Lily Mae Rishi and Josh Headley, yeah. both joining that pantheon of artists to... Mixed degrees of success, I think Margot is still really the breakout hit of that bunch. Really, Jack's only major breakout hit from his label on a commercial level, you know? I guess, yeah. I want to check out Joshua Headley. I hear he's very good. I hear good things as well, but he's th- he doesn't have the heat on him like Margot does. Mm. Well, he's not doing as big a tour, I think. They definitely pushed the record with Margot quite a bit, although they did with Lily, too, so I don't know. Margot said, Third Man has been so supportive and completely changed my mind about a lot of people in the music industry because I have not always had the best experience with labels and management and things like that, she told The Boot. This has just been a complete 360 to have them in my corner and have them fighting for me and out there working for me. So obviously she was in good spirits via Third Man in their press release about the performance. Last night, Jack took to the stage at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota for a special four-song acoustic performance on the season premiere of A Prairie Home Companion hosted by Chris DeLay in support of his career-spanning acoustic album. Backed by Lily Mae Rishi, Dominic Davis, and Fats Kaplan, Jack performed City Lights, Carolina Drama, Maggie's at the Lincoln Park Inn, and was joined by very special guest Marco Price, and it was their first time playing together. Really? Yes. I would also point out, James, that two out of the four members of that performing band are friends of the Third Men podcast. Dominic That's true. Suhita. And Jack White. And, <laughs> and Mr. Fats Kaplan. Via Current.org, Jack White was clearly the musical draw for Prairie Homes' sold-out audience. White's no-monitor, no-direct-input setup fit the show and was not dissimilar from his five-date acoustic tour in 2015 the closest stop being Fargo, North Dakota. And we'll just go into a little bit on the original recording of I'm Lonely But I Ain't That Lonely Yet. If you'd like to hear more, please consult our Get Behind Me Satan album analysis and review episodes where we go into it more. But um, this album was from the White Stripes' penultimate effort, Get Behind Me Satan, their fifth studio album, released June 7th, 2005. And it is the last entry in Jack's ballad quadrilogy on this album. Another introspective number, but somewhat hopeful and nostalgic for his relationship with uh, perhaps his, his former wife, Meg, via Fresh Air. It was a joke he made with Loretta Lynn on the phone about Meg. Jack says, yeah, I get lonely. And Loretta says, yeah, but I ain't that lonely yet. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jack asked if he could have it as a title, wrote the song after he got off the phone with her, and after he recorded it, felt like it belonged at the end of Get Behind Me, Satan. And it's a wonderful way, I think, James, to end our Five on the Live coverage. I agree. Fantastic slew of songs, Paul. Thank you for all of your diligent research, and hopefully you all there enjoyed it. Yeah, so should we kick it to our third people this week? Let's kick it to our third people, Paul. We're back again with Callie and Yvette. Welcome back to the show. It has been two whole weeks. I cannot believe President Trump took a shit on that thing. Can you believe that? (laughs) (laughs) It's... (laughs) It's been a while since we've got one of those headlines, but it's been at least two weeks since we've talked to Yvette, and we have Callie here as well. Yeah. It's been two weeks since we've talked to you. A lot has happened in all of our lives. We've gone to new places. We've met new people, new friends. I've started new podcasts. Paul, I'm sorry. You're out. Uh, Yvette, <laughs> Callie, you're in. Um, I'm, I'm just hanging out here because time is a flat circle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're we're talking today, uh, five on the live uh, guest stars, but we have you here, Yvette, and Callie as our special guest interviewer, a la Kate McCoy, during our Mick Collins interview. Yvette, you just saw Jack at where? D- tell us where you just saw Jack White for the second time on this Boarding House Reach tour. Okay, so I went to Detroit um, Thursday to see him kick off his new tour, his Boarding House Reach tour, um, worldwide tour so far. It's been U.S. and Europe dates so far, but I have a feeling it's going to keep spreading. So he went home to Detroit. That's where he started it. So hmm. this is the, at the Little Caesars Arena, correct? A little Caesars Arena, or more affectionately referred to as Pizza Arena. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, how many five dollar pizzas did you get with your ticket? Yeah. I assume <laughs> many. Fortunately, it was just a few Boarding uh, House Reach CDs. But, okay, but I'm sure oh, I'm nice. sure if I wanted a five dollar pizza, I would have gladly been given one. Were they hot and ready, as Little Caesars would have <laughs> me believe <laughs> they'd be? They would always be hot and ready. Okay, very good. When the one and only Jack White takes the stage tonight in his hometown, Little Caesars Arena, there's one thing fans won't be able to do, and that's take out their phones and snap pictures. He has decided to ban cell phones from his shows. Fascinating. Coco McAboy live at LCA tonight. Uh, Chris Rock tried this approach before, but this is a, a bigger crowd, bigger, uh, bigger sampling, that's for sure, Coco. Yes, Devin. As you mentioned, it was used at the Chris Rock show. It was also used at the Dave Chappelle show. You can see some fans are already out here waiting for the big concert tonight. Fans are ready for the big Jack White concert at Little Caesars Arena tonight. Can't wait. I hope the hours can go a little faster. Danielle Peltalkian came all the way from Los Angeles. This one I've heard is going to be something for the books. Jack White has a new policy for his concert tonight. This is a phone-free show tonight. It's about giving people the opportunity to enjoy the concert with their own eyes. I'm five feet tall, so most of the time people use me as like a tripod to film their video during a concert or like some phone is blocking my view from the stage. So I think uh, this is a great addition to the live shows. 
It's interesting. Jack White says he wants his concerts to be a human experience, and I think a lot of uh, entertainers have felt that way. It's been interesting, Coco. There have been a number of Jack White sightings around town, including one this afternoon. Yes, Devin, there have been quite a few Jack White sightings, and take a look at this video. We have video of one of the sightings. You can see he's at the Tigers game. He's cheering on the team. So as you mentioned, he's making his way around his beloved city before his concert tonight at 8 o'clock. Fascinating stuff. All right. Thanks, Coco. Quick question for the group. Are you all using your uh, million extra copies of Boarding House Reach as coasters like old AOL discs uh, like I am or what? what are you doing? I only redeemed one of them and sent it to a friend. Uh, I've got yeah. three Frisbees that I'm utilizing daily. Uh, Kona, my dog loves them. Uh, big fan. I have one in my car. I have a couple more just sitting around. I don't know. And I think I did actually get the record. So I did upgrade on yeah. one for the record. So I do have the record, the regular black vinyl. So Real talk, I've been switching off between two of them in the car just to see if there's any difference in the recording. They're actually sitting in my car, both two versions. And then another version uh, is also, Paul, I hate to to tell you you're right, but is being used as a coaster currently. (laughs) (laughs) The plastic's on it, mind you. Uh, And then I have another two that are are on my shelf. Little Caesars, Boarding House Reach. Yvette, how would you say the show that you saw compared to the preview show that you saw in the Nashville Blue Room? Just overall impression. Well, definitely you can't really compare the two because they were completely different. Um, One's an intimate small space and the other one is a huge arena that is, um, you know, thousands of more people, thousands and thousands of more people. I think the total I saw later was around 13,000 compared to a couple of hundred. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a little bit different and you definitely knew that the, the stakes were a little higher and different and more, um, he had to change it up a bit. It was very different. They had a huge screen behind them and part of the screen was what they do at Little Caesars Arena, but I did see it again a couple of shows later, a modified version of it. So there are going to be other people who are definitely going to see it later on. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. it was a lot bigger than I usually see Jack in his concerts. Yeah, the screen intrigues me because that is brand new for Jack White. And I only am aware of it from some of the photo, like uh, I saw some of the photos come out from that show, but that really intrigued me because honestly, I would really like it if he started incorporating audiovisual stuff, although it's hard to do with no set list because usually you have to rig those things. Right. So what I kind of wonder is, I mean, I think, yeah, we were talking about that too, my friends and I who had seen uh, Detroit and thought, how will this translate in further spaces? And then we saw in Milwaukee, he didn't have the screen. And then again, on Grand Rapids, he did have it, but in a different version, it wasn't quite as elaborate and as much as we saw it in at Little Caesars Arena. But yeah, I, my guess is maybe they have some of the pre-recorded stuff and when he when they start a song... Um, like when I saw Why Walk the Dog to, last night, he started the song, and then you saw the graphics start, you know, so sure, kind of sure, thing. Sure. So maybe that's, I'm hoping that's how it goes, because that's how I want it to go, because that's how it'll keep it fresh and new, fresh. and that he doesn't use the set list kind of idea. It would be really great to see April March do an animation to We're Gonna Be Friends. Yes. Uh, 
I would, that would love. Be so good. That would, would be sweet. That, that, that would be, that would be awesome. very sweet. It would have oh, to no. be in blue, black, and white kind of colors, <laughs> not true, red, true, true. like that you thought. Which <laughs> yeah, I think it would be awesome, uh, but. Yeah, I, w- I would love that. Now that you're talking about it, Yvette, I guess it wouldn't really be all that different from the lighting people having to make snap decisions based on what he's doing anyway, because that's already how he operates, because none of that is on any kind of automation. So it wouldn't be that tough to have like a bunch of clips ready to go and just like press play, as long as they weren't too time specific they'd have to be somewhat homogenous so it's harder than the taxidermy guy who has to sit and uh depending on the song <laughs> lower down a different taxidermy animal for whatever yeah, song, is, song relevant is relevant yeah well yeah i think the milwaukee uh incident was a little separated and you could talk to somebody who was there for that i i i looked at those pictures and thought hmm that's interesting that um yeah. What I think is, because, you know, last night he was still doing, in Grand Rapids, he was still running around doing the, you know, the whispering, telling people what he was doing. So he's still doing what he's doing. Um, I think they're just kind of more prepared for what he is doing, because definitely the screen is not just clearly for Detroit. Because I was wondering, because the McCrary sisters were in Detroit, and they weren't, obviously, in the next two nights. Who knows if they'll mm-hmm. show up again. But they were specifically right. there um, on Thursday and it was kind of special and I will say first of all that they sounded a lot better together live there with Jack at Little Caesars Arena than I heard them on Saturday Night Live it was like a lot better way better ladies and gentlemen Jack White That's good. Yeah. They were a little off time, and there was a moment when one of them kind of f***ed up and then yeah. sort of looked at the others, and they all kind of laughed at her. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was a little different. Which is charming in its own way, I suppose. And obviously, they're very good singers. It's just... Yeah. But anyway, they were in good form that night. That is good. Yeah. So just to quickly kind of run down the set list, because I know we talked about a lot of this stuff, uh, but we'll, we'll kind of skip around to stuff that you didn't hear in the Nashville Blue Room, but he opened with Over and Over and Over. It's a great show opener. He's been doing that a lot lately, I think. I had heard that there were uh, some, some audio quality issues at the start there. Is that true? Yeah, or- um, a little, maybe. I was in the second row behind the rail in the center so Mm -hmm. some of the other issues that other people heard I actually thought and my friends around me kind of thought we were able to hear him better than we have been before so I didn't hear the same issues that maybe somebody else heard but it's also kind of hard when you're right there in front of him to hear everything a little bit broader so and I'm not probably the best person to ask about sound so (laughs) 
it sounded fine to me. It actually sounded better. Okay, that's good. All right. From there, we go to Old Deddy. Uh, he uh, he moves on to Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. Quit making Old Deddy happen, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Old Deddy. You know, really, I mean, we, I'm looking. I just pulled up the set list, and I'm looking all the. You know, those those were all great, but honestly, I just want to get to number twelve, Hotel Yorba. All right, yeah, go for it. Let's do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, okay. No, let me go back a little because then he okay. came up with. Okay. Uh, oh, he did a great version of I Cut Like a Buffalo. I like the kind. It was very different yeah. than um, the Dead Weather. That was great. But then everything you ever learned that was new. You oh, know, yeah. he just he dropped his guitar and then jumped up and on the top left of center between where Dominic stands and between a piano and then Quincy, there's an electric drum kit. And he got up and did that. And you can see him and Carla and Neil on his little pad there. They all did percussion and it was, that's awesome. Yeah. It was pretty incredible. I heard it again last night. It was, I liked it. I really liked it. I, I love the song. My friends and I yeah. have all made it our new alarm tone. So tomorrow morning, <laughs> that's what I'm, if I don't wake up at the beginning, I will definitely be awake by the end. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we will definitely wake up, but maybe not at the beginning. I don't know if you want somebody screaming fire to wake yeah, up in the Because that's going to be a real boy you cried wolf situation one day. It might. <laughs> it might. But it was really great. But, I mean... The whole thing about Hotel Yorba, during Lazaretto, we see on the right side of the stage, his mom kind of come up to the side. Joshua V. Smith kind of had her there. He was right next to her. And, you know, we're just standing there thinking, oh, how awesome, how sweet. You know, his mom is there to um, listen to him and pay honor and, and, you know, absorb it all in. That's just great. And then the song ends, and I'm not exactly sure how the whole thing happens because he actually kind of seemed to start the song I think he knew she was going to come up, but it's almost like she's so tiny that she kind of walked up and picked up her microphone before he even realized she was there. And he actually almost hit her with his guitar. (laughs) And she's just, she's like half of Jack. She's just so tiny. And and then he sees her and it's like, I mean, and the whole show was like this. He had this like smile, this looseness. He was, I don't know. He just felt so free and he sees his mother and of course he's beaming, which I hope my sons will do when they're older too, when they look at me. But it just had this look on his face. He was just so happy to be there. And at first it looked like she was supposed to sing the whole song with him because you could tell she was kind of like, as he started singing the verses, that she was kind of like trying to follow him. And and I thought she was trying to catch on, but it wasn't until the chorus that she was she actually um started singing but you know like if robert plant were to walk up or bob dylan were to walk up you know and the whole arena explodes that's what she got like little <laughs> willis walks up to the front oh, of the stage that's so sweet yeah although um, i feel like jimmy page might look a little bit more like a grandmother so that might fit, <laughs> that might fit the aesthetic a little better <laughs> Is that George Washington's <laughs> grandmother? What's happening? <laughs> How is she She's still, still alive? alive? Oh, it's oh, James Page. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> oh, my God. Carry yes. on. Okay, carry on. That would work. I love Jimmy Page. Anyway, um, yeah, so it was really cool to see. You know, everybody got so excited, and he introduced her as, this is my mother, Teresa Willis, and it was so it was so cute, and they started singing, and he's harmonizing with her on the chorus, and they sing a couple verses, and they 
they kind of do that. And then I knew as soon as they were going to do that, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to dance. Oh, because when they start the song, it's in polka version. It's not the regular um, Hotel Yorba version. It's it's in polka. and the. It's, I cannot wait to hear that. Yeah. You're going to love it. Tam, trust me, I thought about you the whole time. I was like, I wish she was here with me. I want her here so badly. I want her here because it was so, so beautiful. And, and that's another time when we're like, oh my gosh, why don't any of us have cameras <laughs> to record this? I hope they're recording this because it was so awesome. Well, thank goodness Swanson was there. Yes, that's hopefully, true, but right. hopefully somebody is recording it video wise. That's what I'm hoping for. But anyway, and then they put down their microphones and he starts dancing with her. And it was just, I mean, he's spinning her around. It was just so, so, so beautiful. It was, it was like one of the most incredible moments to watch as a was Josh Smith throwing pidogies and galumpkies at everybody in the audience. <laughs> he, was just going nuts. he was going crazy. We were all going crazy. That is so yeah, when we when I saw that on Instagram, I was just my heart melted. Especially because, oh, like you said, he he towers, towers over her too, but, but but he but was he holding was her in such a sweet, delicate way. It was just it was just very touching. Yeah, the pictures alone made me start to cry a little bit. I can't even begin yeah. to imagine what it was like to actually see it. I you must have been losing it, Yvette. We were all losing it. I think a few of us had tears in our eyes. I'm going to guess probably more moms or women in general. But, you know, I'm sure a few guys had a few tears in their eyes, too. You know, but yeah, it was a beautiful moment. I don't know if I'll ever see something like that again. And it was awesome. Then he launched into we're going to be friends. And so you're just like riding on that. Oh, Oh, my gosh. She walked off, but he keeps singing. It reminded me of his version of like dancing with his mom at a wedding or something yeah. like because uh, he doesn't have a traditional sort of family structure in that way. I'm sh- I, actually I I know very little I think by design about what his weddings were like, which is a good thing I think. But this is seemed to evoke a similar sentiment. And it reminded me personally of a photo that we have of Paul uh, dancing yeah. with with our Bobshi. Yeah, and uh, it was a it was a sweet moment on stage there. I am very. I, I don't want to say jealous, but at the sa- I want to say I'm really happy one of us got to see it who yeah. is involved in this show so that we get to hear it firsthand. So. Definitely. Now, the other special moment that I wish I could have seen was the live debut of Don't Hurt Yourself because we talked a little bit about this on some prior episodes, but Jack's really been talking a lot about the Beyonce collaboration during this uh, album cycle, and it's something we've really known not all that much about up till this point we learned that Jack really wrote most of that song and Beyonce kind of put some stank on it and made it into something, but like it was sort of his at the inception stage. So it is fitting that he did it live, although strange without Beyonce, because I don't know. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if he's ever played something like, Alicia Keys. Gee, Alicia Keys, uh, yeah. Uh, die. Yeah, right. He teased that at one show. He's done Rose, R- Rose with a broken neck. Yeah. Yeah. Rose with a broken neck and two against one. Two against one. Yeah, but he sings those himself. Like that's different. He's harmonizing yeah. himself on those. So, right. So don't hurt yourself. Is was a shock to me. But so Yvette, how did they do it? Did the McCrary sisters sing Beyonce's part? All right. So they came out in the beginning for over and over and over. So they did that, and then they stepped off, and I was like, wow, you came all the way over here just to sing that song, and you know, then he did all the <laughs> the whole. Yeah, it was just kind of like okay, they they were gone. He did the whole first set, and then for the encore. They came back up. Wow. Yeah, that's where I see how he could work it. And that's why it'll be interesting to see if and when he pulls it out again because he did it with them. But he didn't sing the verses. He just sang the chorus. Like, And then 
it mostly, and it's like, we couldn't tell what it was at first. We couldn't even tell. It was just from the beginning. It was like, what, what, what is he doing? And what was going on? That's like, it sounded familiar because he didn't sing the verses. He just sang the chorus. And then obviously once he started singing, don't hurt yourself. We're like, oh my gosh, he's singing, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> So the McCurry sisters weren't singing Beyonce's verses? No, they were oh, okay. in the background. No, they, the verses weren't, you know, I don't know. He might have had to. Um, so that part was just the music. Yeah. And and that makes okay. sense okay. because, you know, that the verses to that song are kind of really powerful and strong uh-huh. and yeah. intense. Yeah. So, yeah, personal. Yeah, personal. So yeah. I don't know how they would have translated. So I think actually he did a really good job of not doing that part. But it was right. it was actually really really strong, and you know, right into that they went into connected by love. That's an interesting uh, transition. It was, yep, yeah. it really was. I love during these long breaks we get all this smattering of rando songs, and then when the tour kicks up again, we start to hear them in places. That always gets me really excited. It's why Battle Cry, seeing that one live, really had an effect on me because, you know, obviously we're connected more to the community now, but it feels like a personal thing during those droughts because you're just like mm-hmm. waiting for the drips and to come in and like oh there's that song or that song like if he trotted out you are the sunshine of my life live oh. i would lose my damn mind i would i i would too i would yeah. too oh. that would be fabulous because it feels like it feels like a little personal little like private song we had with him before the album came out and everybody started talking about it in a way yeah and i know you guys got excited about that i saw that on facebook so i was I was like, I hope he does that. I don't know. I don't know if he will. I mean, maybe in L.A., New York kind of stuff, he'll pull out those kinds of um, songs again um, when he could pull them in again. But, yeah, Connected by Love sounded way better than they sounded together in Saturday Night Live, even though I thought that was the stronger of the two performances that night. But they drive yeah, much better. It's like almost like they probably watched the tape a few times and kind of figured out what was kind of disconnected by that. But I would love it if that song wasn't so rehearsed, which it seems really rehearsed i would love it if he just went on a tangent to do infected by love just oh yeah yeah. yes but yeah or if he stopped with all the like here's what i want out of over and over and over again since i have this little soapbox of a microphone here um (laughs) what i would love out of that song is just forget all the breaks just lose them lose the i don't care i don't care about all the little stops and starts and the point of that song is to go crazy. It's the lit, one of the only times he goes crazy on this new album. If you're going to do it, just lean into it, especially live. Like, it's not like we don't have all the breaks and stuff on the album. Like, I just, I would love a really loose version of that song that it, was super guitar heavy. It sounds like you're looking for riff rock, Paul. And as we know... <laughs> Hey folks, this is when Paul from the Future chimes in to let you know that not long after we recorded this segment, Jack White did indeed release a simplified version of Over and Over and Over Again, or however many overs that is, and it was released in the Spotify sessions along with the song Pablo Picasso. So if you would like to hear what I was just complaining that didn't exist, you can check that out on Spotify. Okay, back to the interview now. He's just looking for crazy. And I actually, I understand what you're saying because I've heard heard it three times now because he's played it every time I've seen him the last month. And... You know, I kind of, I because I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that they don't like the song as much, but I kind of dig it. I dig it. I like Greek mythology and stuff, so I like that stuff. But mm. I would love him to kind of go off on a tangent with that too. So I get it, Paul. I'm with you there. Thank you. And we'll get <laughs> Lily May in the mix too. 
and everybody will be singing and be happy. I okay. Good luck with that. That sounds an interesting combination for her to sing that song with him. But yeah. Hey, folks. Paul from the future here yet again to tell you that not long after we recorded this segment, Lily Mae did in fact join Jack on stage on the Boarding House Reach tour uh, once again. Paul from the future here, filling in some gaps on the ever-evolving world of the Boarding House Reach Tour, and we'll get back to the interview again now. Imagine if yeah. Fats Kaplan came out of the zebra. I'm stuck on the zebra. I, <laughs> like a Trojan zebra. Like, like Ace Ventura in Nature Calls. <laughs> Just Fats Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm just, I'll, I'm just thinking Jim Carrey right now. <laughs> Lily May starts playing fiddle. Fats Kaplan's coming out of the zebra. Uh, Dominic is just he doing is Dominic. Just Dominic. I mean, he's already there. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Um, sorry. All right. I'm well, event. Uh, any other highlights you want to uh, you want to talk about uh, before we leave off here? Yeah. Um, the Carolina. I mean, the McCrary sisters were. They came back out again for Carolina drama, and that was Whoa. quite freaking amazing. It was incredible. I, Did I, they do the weird melodic uh, chorus? Yep. Yep. They were singing the. Uh, you know. Yeah. The one of them was like they had one and two. It was really two of the girls. I don't know who they are, but. Um, two, there were four of them, and yeah, it was quite beautiful. Uh, yeah, that I was kind of awesome. surprised. I didn't expect that to be pulled out there in Detroit, you know, because that to me has a more intimate kind of setting, kind of, I don't know. It's such a fan favorite, though. Yeah. Do they keep the Calypso reggae kind of sound to it that they had at, um, at the Warsaw show? Well, I was in Africa and I tried to stream <laughs> that show when that came on and I haven't watched it yet because I haven't had a chance. Oh, okay. So I will have to listen to that and I, I couldn't tell you tonight. I tried. As they had said, it was going to be worldwide. It was not worldwide mm-hmm. and I was not allowed to watch it. So You did get to see a show with Jack and Meg, though. Apparently Meg was in the audience. Apparently. And, okay, you know, from where I could stand, I could see people on the sides, but I don't know who everybody is. Yes, I probably saw Meg. I'm not one of the people (laughs) that recognized her. I will not say, oh, yeah, I saw Meg there. No. Enough people were pretty sure that that was her wearing sunglasses on the side there that, you know, I believe it. Including Jarrett Coral, who said uh, definitively that it was a... And he's one that he knows he's seen her in person many times, so I totally believe that he saw her. Yep. And that's pretty cool, actually, that she was there. I think, you know, I'm one of the people that truly don't think there will ever be a White Stripes reunion. I don't... Ever since 2007, as soon as they canceled the tour, which I was supposed to see, and I didn't get to, but as soon as they canceled it, I don't think that'll ever happen i just don't think it'll I think, ever happen i think we're gonna get it for the hall of fame i think i, I think we'll get it for 2024 that. that's what a lot of people are hoping for is 2024 i understand and i'm hoping <laughs> for it too i don't know we'll see we'll see um but yeah. i think it was really cool if she if you know i believe that it was her that was there and i think that was amazing and that she was enjoying the show and that she you know wanted to be a part of that by being there so sure. yeah I like that it's wow. a myth. I like that it's a thing that no one can actually say definitively she was there. I like that it's yeah. kind of in the ether. Like, maybe right. people said yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
We'll see. I, I believe it. I mean, no matter what kind of relationship they've had over the years, I mean, how could she not be there for yeah. his big solo show in, in Detroit? And I don't know if, I'm sure you all saw it because it was, you know, posted and stuff on various social media sites, but how cool it was that Little Caesars Arena had that big banner that said, Welcome Home, mm-hmm. Jack. Um, yeah. Dominic posted it, and he even said, you know, that was a pleasant surprise. Like, that was not them posting something. It was unexpected, and, you know, that was really cool. And it was really cool that night at the show because Jack had been at the Tigers game earlier that day. There's, there was footage of that. That was cool. He was wearing that cool Detroit mm-hmm. Tigers. Oh, that's another thing that's cool, um, that Detroit Tigers baseball jacket, which I kind of hope he would have come out with. When he came, but he didn't. He had his little polka dot shirt. But when he came back for the encore, he was wearing a Cast Tech shirt. It said Cast yeah. on the front, yeah. and then right. his name on the back in 03. And that was pretty cool to see. And and even when he introduced the band, he introduced Dominic as a, um, a also an alumnus of Cast Tech, and that was really cool to see that that they were paying homage to their right. to their old school. Nice. Dominic Suhita. <laughs> we learned how it is pronounced. And also, uh, just to mention very quickly, in Milwaukee, he was wearing a battle, War a battle stick. shirt from... Um... War stick! Well, you can't see my shirt. Never mind. My camera's not low enough. <laughs> I'm wearing a oh, War stick shirt. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah you can't That's see great. it. All right. Yeah, nice. I bought my son one of the battle ones. He has that. Yeah. Yvette and Callie, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we're really, really happy that you got to experience that show, uh, Yvette, at Little Caesars. We were we were with you in spirit and watching on the Instagrams and very happy that you got to do that. So that's really cool. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you, guys. You'll, you'll probably see me at all the shows now. My vision board has made it so that I am now the taxidermy guy at all of the shows. <laughs> I will be lowering down uh, those things. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Yvette. Thank you, Callie. And Yvette, then, go get some sleep. Yeah. Get some sleep. James, we've come to the end of the road. I know, I feel invigorated. I feel alive, Paul. With the sound of music? Just alive. I forgot. I resuscitated you earlier in the episode. Yeah, it was all the resuscitations. Uh Uh-huh. But yes, I learned a lot. It's been weird. I feel like I've been in the astral plane learning all about Jack White's live guest appearances. Well, we covered a lot of interesting stuff this week, and I was really glad you brought up that Beck thing, because I had no idea him and Beck and Sean Ono Lennon played anything together ever. So that was really, really cool. Yeah, I feel like I I knew it a little bit, and then I, I saw the headline and i was like i had to i had to include it in there very interesting segment there it it feels good to get back on the non boarding house reach stuff as much as i love boarding house reach it's good to talk about some other jack white related things and i hope you all there uh stuck with us through all that and uh and enjoyed this show yeah you know we got to keep it clean got to keep it clean with the soap and the coca cola coca cola and the ice cream this makes zero sense to anyone who hasn't listened to our first Five on the Live episode. If you haven't, go check that out. I don't remember what number it is, but it's out there. Do uh, that Anyway, thing. we have some shout-outs, Paul. We'd like to, first of all, thank everybody for liking our Facebook page, 
1,600 times. We have a total of 1,600 likes on our Facebook page, and that is really, really cool. And we'd like to thank some people here who I don't think we've actually thanked before. So Amy Richardson, thank you. You interacted with us online this week. It was really good hearing from you. Rommel Mercado, thank you, Rommel. We have Fernanda Almendra Basualto, which I think I got right. Mm. We have Tanya Nendik, and we have Kelly Hardin, we have Jean Abalero, we have Matthew Halsey, we have Marissa Sinclair, Matt Sherman. Dean Haspiel. Oh, yes, James, Dean Haspiel. I forgot. Last episode, James, we were joined by an Emmy Award winner, Dean Haspiel. If you're not familiar with his uh, work, he is a uh, an artist, a comic book artist, but he also won an Emmy for the intro credits to the hit I want to say Showtime series, Bored to Death, Mm. starring another tremendous musician, that kid from Rushmore. I think you're talking about Ted Danson. Uh, I think I'm talking about (laughs) Alan Ruck. (laughs) Television's Alan Ruck. I think think Ted Danson was on Bored to Death, though, wasn't he? Yeah, you're probably right about that. I think it was uh, Ted Danson and Zach Galifianakis, I want to say. Yes, yes. We have Renee Bross. We have Leslie uh, Hardiman, who I think we've thanked on the show before. And uh, Katie Sementelli, Tanya Rice, Falkenbury, Sonia Cano, Emily Dixon, and uh, so many others. So thank you very much, everybody, for doing that on Facebook. And uh, again, thank you to everyone who was patient this week as we moved the podcast from Spreaker to Pippa. We hope to not interrupt your feed with anything like that in the future. Agreed. But we're, we're moving to better and better things every time. So if it does happen, just know it's... A better thing for you and us. It's to make the show better, yes. Yeah. We're putting forth the dollars that we don't get from anything. We don't make money <laughs> off of this. Uh, and we're putting it towards this show, and, and we hope we hope it's paying off. Anyway, we'd also like to thank uh, some, some regulars on the show. Paul, we've always got regulars. We've, we've got the people who are in day in, day out, talking to us, correcting us, giving us facts to smell. We've got people like Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. We've got my oh me, it's me oh my. We've got Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. Andre, ice cold lime man. We've got Gally Durga, our third person in spirit every week. We've got Eileen Corisano. We see you over there. We see you over there, Eileen. Thank you. We've got Adrian King, the punk rock queen. We've got the Red Red Rain Prosper. We've got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. Eric Andrew Dodson over here. We've got Dodson over here. See? We care. Yeah, we care. We care. Uh, we've got LOL 2.0. <laughs> we've got David Pope. We've got S.A. Franco. You know what I think it means, Paul? I think it means super apples. I think it's Esperanto for joy. We've also got Yvette Wilkins, Wilkin on Sunshine over there. We've got Brennan and Smith. We've got Brian Walter be nicer to me. And as we can tell that this person has no right opinion for you here, go away. And Kelly Durga, our third woman in spirit every week. I said that. Did you? Yeah. I thought you missed it. No. Well. Defo didn't. If you'd like to interact with us on social media, you can go to facebook.com slash thirdmen, Twitter at thirdmencast, 
Tumblr is thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. We host the show also on our WordPress site, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You can also send us an email to thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find us where we host the show, you can search The Third Men Podcast on Pippa. Again, Pippa is where we host the show, and Pippa has also given us wonderful access to the Google Play Store, which we had currently not been on. So thanks to Pippa, we are now available on Google Play, so you can listen to us there as well as all your other platforms for listening to podcasts. We are available on a number of podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Pocket Casts, iTunes, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podkicker. We're available a lot of places, and so we really appreciate everyone who's listening to us on those different platforms. And please, tell a friend about this show. It really helps us. If you have a fellow Jack fan that you think might be interested in hearing our show, just tell a friend about it because... That's really, like, word of mouth is the best way to get the the word out on the show. And so that would be awesome if you could do it. Or tweet about it, share us on Facebook, something like that. Retumble us, something. It would be appreciated. Please do that. And uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, please. And visit us on YouTube, where we have some visualizers and animations. And I'm trying to start a a petition to have James animate my insane ramblings in my (laughs) review of Boarding House Reach, the uncut edition from episode 69 the sex number <laughs> yeah uh look for that coming to you soon in about a month probably um, <laughs> i am working on it. it it's it's got a lot of fuck words paul it's got a lot of fuck word um i got rid of all the fuck words but the, you do say the fuck word a lot <laughs> you say but han solo fuck han solo really loudly So uh, if you got any listener questions, feel free to send those into our Gmail or basically anywhere on those social media platforms that we mentioned a second ago. And uh, we'd also like to thank Sam Kiebert and Tom Valenti for the help with the theme song. We're the third man as well as Susanna Roundtree for the help with our intro and outro. Thank you so much, Susanna. You have the voice of an angel. Angel. <laughs> Several and, angels. And uh, as always, Paul, I will be looking for a home on a gurney trying to get my heart started again. And I will be looking for a home on the Enterprise B with television's Alan Ruck. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Whatever. Maybe you're in the morning. Who knows? For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. I'll just do that. Sure. Sure. I'll just do that. Uh, that was Mike Pence, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot he was on our show. Oh, yes. Not that I know of. That's going to be a Google. Google. I mean, obviously, 
he's never met Bonham, but uh, he. Uh, Jack White was five years old when John Bonham died, I think. Right. Aha! Five year. Maybe he was an altar boy at his funeral. Did, I don't I s- know. See, I remember that. I, re- I knew I remembered this. Sleep. Come, come here, buddy. Oh, he's a good cancer boy. You good no. cancer boy. Hello. How's he doing? Hi. Hello. He's okay. Yeah. Any man with time. a microphone can shove it down his pants and call it. A- Uh, Jack. <laughs> I knew a uh, I knew a kid in college, a uh, lady who was uh, particularly enamored with '70s classic Robert Plant. We're talking early to mid '70s Robert Plant, and would uh, zoom in on Robert Plant's very notorious uh, bulge mm. uh, because. It, something was happening in those very 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 tight jeans um, that everyone saw uh, you know as a remarkable sight especially for an Englishman um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've seen everything yeah and uh uh, but yeah, it was in, uh, produced by the Dust Brothers. It has. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, it's going to be a long night. In. Oh, okay, good night. That's all I got, Paul. Yep. Uh. That was a good length of an episode, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hit stop. I'm John, I'm Paul, I'm John, I'm Rico. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band, using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.